Man, when we, when we do family service, uh, the fifth Sunday, any month that has a fifth Sunday, that's what we do here, is our family service. And when we do it, we do it big. So don't forget to grab some donuts and some apple cider and take a picture in our awesome photo booth before you head out, because um, you don't want to miss out on all of the cool stuff that we have. So um, welcome. My name is Nick. I am the youth pastor here at Crossbridge. So I get the awesome privilege of working with all of our middle and high schoolers. Um, if you're a middle or high schooler, let me hear you. Yeah. So I get to hang out with them. So uh, a little bit about myself. Um, like I said, my name is Nick. I have been married to my wife, Braylon, for six years. We've been together for 11. Uh, we have two little boys named Max, who is four, and Oliver, who is one. Uh, and we love being parents, but when we first heard or first learned that we were going to be having a baby, we were super excited. Um, it's something that we had been wanting and kind of um, talking about being ready for uh, as we had been into our marriage for about a year. And uh, so when we learned that we were going to have a baby, we started doing everything that you need to do. We started preparing. We, we bought the crib. We bought the, the high chair. We painted the nursery, got that all ready, started reading books and going to classes and doing all of the stuff that you do when you're uh, expecting your first child and freaking out about trying to learn what that means. Um, but we had done pretty much everything that we felt like we needed to do, and then the time came for Max to be born. So we went and had him at the hospital and everything and, and stayed a couple of days, and then it was time to go home. <sighs> And all of that preparation, all of the stuff that we were so confident, and it went all out the window, and all of a sudden, I was researching how to change my legal address to the hospital and just stay there, where we had the professionals who knew what to do, like at our beck and call. Um, and with all of the preparation, all of the things that we thought we knew, uh, we felt very unqualified for what was ahead. And... The sad thing is, is that I think as Christians, we do the same thing with our place in the kingdom, with the things that God is calling us to do, that he says that we are qualified, and yet we tell ourselves all of these lies that tell us that we're not, that God says to every single one of us, he calls us to the table, and yet we do everything that we can to talk ourselves out of a seat, and my dream for Crossbridge, not just for the ones that I work with, with my, my middle and high schoolers, but for everybody that, that is a part of this community is that my prayer is that every single one of us lives up to the full potential of the identity and the purpose that God created for us. And that means moving past some of the lies that we tell ourselves the lies of qualification. And that is the title of today's message is The Lie of Qualification. So I want to start throughout this message by addressing some of those things, some of the things that we use, that we throw out to disqualify ourselves from what God is calling us to do. And I apologize now uh, for those of you who are using a physical Bible. You, I hope you did your hand stretches this morning because I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today. But I wanted you to know that I'm coming with receipts for everything that I say. So, so I got scripture. I got a lot of it. You're going to have to move around. Hopefully you have your smartphone and you can just tap and move around or just follow along on the screen because it'll be there. Um, but I want to address some of these lies that we tell ourselves. And 
Of course, being the youth pastor on the stage, I got to start with the obvious one. This was originally the topic of my sermon, and then it kind of expanded from here. But number one is this. Your age does not disqualify you. Your age does not disqualify you. You see, throughout society, all over, every, everywhere you look, there are age limits on things, whether that's the age to vote, the age to smoke, drink, play the lottery, whatever, drive. Like, there are age limits on everything. And for most of them, I, I'm happy we have them. I, I know some of my middle schoolers, and I don't want them on the road, Not, let alone when they turn 16. I give it a few years. Uh, but there are certain things that have age limits on them, but we tend to have allowed that idea to creep into the church, that there is an age limit on participating, on being a part of what God is trying to do in the church. The first place I want you guys to turn is the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. This is like the motto, catchphrase verse of youth ministry. And it says this, Do not let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. So this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to this kid, young man, whatever you want to call him, named Timothy, who he had left in charge of a church in Ephesus. So he left this young guy in charge of a, a whole church. And we get the misconception that he's super young, but at this point, when he wrote the letter, Timothy was probably around late 20s, early 30s. But when he took Timothy in, Paul took Timothy in and kind of made him his like apprentice and started training him on what it meant to be a leader in the church. And when he took him in, Timothy was like 15, around that age. And so even in that point, he said, I see something in you, and I think that you are going to be able to do awesome things in the church. So I'm inviting you now to step into your ministry at 15 and come with me. And throughout the New Testament, we see all of these letters that Paul wrote to different churches. And the little known thing is that most of these letters weren't just written by Paul, but they were co-authored by Timothy. Like Timothy was, was shouting out things to add to the letter. Like, hey, say this. And like Timothy was a part of, of writing these letters that we now call the New Testament. And not just Timothy, when we think about the disciples, all of these guys that, that Jesus called to, to be a part of his ministry and take them along with him, these guys were all within the, probably the 15 to 20 age range also, based on the fact that none of them were married. And in the, the Hebrew tradition, most men were married off by the age of 18 to 20. So the fact that the only record that we have of any disciple with a wife is Peter, most of these guys were unmarried, meaning they were probably younger than 18 when Jesus called them. And these are the guys that became like the foundation of the church. See, Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy, just a couple verses later in verse 14, he says, do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. So it wasn't just Paul who said, hey, Timothy, we're going to go do this awesome work. You're coming into this ministry. It was the entire church. They saw this young man and they said, no, we're laying our hands on you. We're praying over you and we're sending you out. So what I'm saying here is that we have 
take it from a, a personal experience in the kids that I work with, that we have some awesome kids here at Crossbridge who can do amazing things for the kingdom right now. And so we need to provide space and opportunity for them to be a part of the ministry of the work that God is doing through Crossbridge. But don't worry, I'm not just talking to the young folks in the room. See, I said your age does not disqualify you, which means for some of you, you may think that it's too late. You may think that your time to be effective for God is in the past, that your age is, is getting up there, and you know what? I'm, getting, I'm, I'm tired, and I don't even know what I can do for the church anymore. But there are so many things that God can do through any person if they are willing to be worked through. I want to point out people. We're not going to turn to them. I'm just going to point to some stories in the Bible. Sarah and Elizabeth, two women who are well, well past the age to bear children, and yet, God birthed through them Isaac and John the Baptist, two guys who were influential in the story of the gospel, in the story of, of God's work in the world. These women who thought that, you know, I'm sad that I never gave my husband a child, but that ship has sailed. I'm well advanced past the years that this would be possible for me. It said that, that Sarah was 90 when she when she gave Abraham a son. Like, well past an age where she should be able to have a child, but God said, no, this is what I see. This is the plan that I have for you. So the limitations of age have no hold over my plans for your life. See, uh, I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it wasn't for my experience in youth group when I was a student and the two people who had the most influence over me were two men, one named Gene and one named Dave, who were in their 70s and 60s uh, respectively. Like they were youth volunteers. They were involved with youth ministry. They, they came, they showed up to stuff. They led these students uh, and walked with them and poured into them wisdom and encouragement and love. And they were when most people think of somebody who should be helping with youth ministry, they think of this. But these guys were, yeah, in their 70s, in their 60s, and they had a life worth of experience that they poured into me and made me into the person that I am. So you are never beyond an age where God can use you. Number two, the next lie is that your doubts do not disqualify you. When you think of doubts, when we talk about doubts, the first guy that comes to most people's minds throughout the Bible is a guy named Thomas. Uh, he literally has the nickname Doubting Thomas. But I would, I like to change his nickname in my mind to Honest Thomas because in most cases, what he is saying is what everyone in the room is thinking. He's just the one bold enough to actually say it. So the the verse that everybody thinks of or the story that people think of when you hear of Thomas comes from um, the book of John. It's the story right after Jesus has resurrected. He has uh, come back from the grave, and this is what happens. In John chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. 
A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. So they, they, they come to Thomas and they say, Dude, Jesus is back. Like, we've, we've heard about it, we've seen it, he is here. And he says, Well, until I see it, I'm not buying it. Like, I need to see it myself. And so Jesus gives him that proof. But what I see in this story is I go back to where it says a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and it says that the doors were locked. You see, locking themselves in a door in an upper room doesn't tell me that they're super confident in what they know about Jesus. Tells me that they're doubting it too. Like, they have locked themselves away. They're hiding because they don't buy this story either. So Thomas is the one bold enough to say, you know, until I see it, until I have that undeniable proof, then uh, I, I'm not buying it. But when he does experience the truth, when Jesus appears to him and he places his hands on the scars, he puts his hand in his side, he says, my Lord and my God. And that doubting, that seeking for truth leads him to a deeper faith. In his doubt, Thomas was able to discover something about Jesus that made his faith unshakable. When he realized in that moment that Jesus really did come back, really was resurrected, and he experienced it, he felt it for himself, he says, my Lord and my God, and that is the first time after the resurrection that somebody calls Jesus Lord is in that moment. Like Thomas is the first one to see Jesus for who he really is because of his doubts and his pursuing that truth. And even though he doubted, if we flip just a little bit further, just after John into the book of Acts, chapter two, we get the story of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes over all of the, the church, comes over all of the, the believers and they come out and they start telling this story of Jesus and everything that happened. And who is among that crowd of people who is sharing this gospel and telling people about Jesus? Thomas. Even though he is the one who has this reputation of being a doubter, of not believing in that moment, he still gets to be a part of sharing this gospel. Now, doubt is not a lack of faith, but a desire and an opportunity for greater faith. In our questioning, in our, in our doubting is when we search for truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. So when we search for truth, we find him. Our doubting is just a yearning to be closer to him and find him in everything. Number three, your circumstances do not disqualify you. See, we all have things about us that we, we think make us broken or, or flawed, we see things about ourselves that we, we call um, imperfect. And God doesn't call us to get everything figured out before we join his story, before we get to do what he's calling us to do. He doesn't say, hey, figure everything out, and then when you do that, I'm here and we can start getting to work. He says, no, come now, let's go. I have work for you to do. See, we need to avoid um, what, what I like to call once-then statements. So saying, once I get this figured out, then I can do that. Or, or once I make enough money, then I can start giving to the church. Or once I get out of this job, then maybe I can start volunteering for this program or whatever. 
We have to avoid things like that and just start doing whatever it is God called us to do. So we look at things in our lives, all of the, the situations, the, the circumstances around our lives, and we see roadblock after roadblock standing in the way of what God has in store for us. What we see is hindrances God calls a tool. The things that we have dealt with in our lives or the things that make us who we are, the imperfections that we see when we look in the mirror, we see hindrances and God sees a tool. What we see as a weakness, he sees as a weapon. You see, in Psalm chapter 139, David writes that God created him in his inmost being. He says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So we were designed for a purpose. Every single thing that makes you who you are was put into you for a purpose. The quirks, the perceived flaws, the things that we look at and we say, no, I'm falling short here. That these are what make us perfect for the job that he set aside for us. Because each one of us has a calling, has a job that only we can do because of the way that God designed us to be a part of it. And it doesn't matter what those circumstances are, whether they are physical or mental or financial. I mean, just look throughout the Bible. This is another point where I have a lot of references that I'm not going to put on the screen because that would take forever to flip back and forth. But Throughout the Bible, we have people who say to God, no, I can't do what you're calling me to do because because of whatever this is about me. Moses was called to to get the Israelites out of Egypt, and he says, "I, I can't do it because I have trouble speaking. And we don't know whether that was a stutter or a speech impediment, but there was something about Moses that he wasn't very good at speaking, and yet... God calls him to go before Pharaoh and and call the Israelites out of of bondage in in Egypt. And yet Moses is used anyway. You think about one of our Sunday school stories in David and Goliath and this small little teenage boy facing against a giant that everything says that he should have no chance, he should have no business standing up against this massive warrior who has just been killing and scaring an entire army. And yet this little boy steps up and takes down this giant because of what God has called him to do. Going back to the disciples that Jesus called, and not only were they young, but in the Hebrew tradition, kids were, were schooled on on all of the religious study of the law and everything up until the age of 15. And at that point, if they had promise, they showed the promise of being intelligent and and had the future in being a rabbi, then they were allowed to continue in school. But if they didn't have it, if they were seen as, as maybe not as gifted in the intelligence department, then they joined the family trade, whether that was fishermen or carpenters or whatever the case. Um, at the age of 15, they finished school and they went into the, the family trade. And we see Jesus walking around calling these guys and he's not calling them from the temple. He's not calling them away from their studies with their rabbi. He's calling them away from their fishing boats because they were not seen as guys that were ready to progress in the study of religion, in the study of law. And yet Jesus says, no, these are the guys I want. These are the ones that I want on my team. 
We see Jesus with the, the boy with the fishes and loaves. That this is, He's got this little lunch and he says, this is all I have to give, but it's yours to do with what you want. And Jesus takes it and he feeds, I would say 5,000, but it's way more than that. Um, that he gives what he has. And I look at what we just did over the last three weeks. I know none of you are, are out here raking in millions of dollars and yet, we as a community were able to raise $51,000 to give away to further the work that God is doing in our community. That is what we can do when we say yes and ignore whatever circumstances are in, in our way. So last one, number four, your past does not disqualify you. We have all messed up. We have all made mistakes, and yet God can and will use anyone. It says in Romans chapter 8 that there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That when we give our lives over, when we say, yes, God, I'm, I'm ready, I'm willing to be a part of what you are doing, whatever was back there, whatever past mistakes you have going on, they don't matter anymore. It says in 2 Corinthians that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That means that from this moment starting, we are a new creation, that this stuff back here isn't even the same person. We are here and we're moving forward and all we're doing is whatever God has called us to do. My favorite version of this story, my favorite um, way that this plays out is in um, a guy that we've already talked about a couple times today named Paul. Starting in Acts chapter 9, it says that meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Jesus' way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And so this guy, Saul, who not only killed Christians, but he did it with passion. Like this was, this is what, this was his favorite pastime was killing Christians. And he changes his name to Paul and he becomes the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, who pushed the church, the early church on to grow and to be as much like Jesus as they could. This guy that we study his words and we learn how to be better as followers of Jesus. This is the same guy that in the past made it his goal to eliminate anyone who called Jesus Lord. Or we think of, that same little boy that killed the giant, David, who grew up to be a king, saw a woman that he liked, he wanted, so he took, and then found out that she was married and had that man, had her husband put on the front lines of the army to be killed, to get him out of the way. Oh, and by the way, this guy, his ancestral line leads to Jesus himself. This guy who literally commits murder because he wanted a man's wife is the one who leads to our savior. So I think our past 
is pretty irrelevant in what God is trying to do in our lives. So we tell ourselves these lies, whether it's your age, your doubts, your circumstances, your past, whatever it is that you use as the reason to disqualify yourself from what God is calling you to do from the work that he has for you. We tell ourselves these lies and we use every excuse we can to disqualify ourselves. And yet there's only one thing. The truth is this. Don't miss this. Write this down. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. The only thing that can disqualify you from your God-given purpose is your own inaction. It is not about our ability. It is not about anything that makes us ready. It's not about our ability, but our availability. We say yes to God. We say it's time to do what you're calling me to do. And he pushes us forward. We let him handle the rest. The only thing that can disqualify us from what God is trying to do in our lives is when we refuse to be a part of it. When we sit there and we sit in inaction. So we have all of these things that are telling us that we can't do it. We're trying to rely just on God. And I want to offer encouragement through a verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 says that my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Not only does it say that his grace is all we need, that we can rely on his strength, but it allows us to be open about our weakness, to be open about the things that we say disqualify us, that prevent us from doing what he calls us to do, because that is where his power works best. That we want to put our shortcomings, our weakness, we want to put those on display. Because when we are open about where we fall short, then we allow God to fill the gaps. These are past mistakes, our our worries, our doubts. These are not barricades that prevent us from moving forward. They are opportunities for God to make his power known through the way that we live, through the work that we're doing. See, God designed you and called you, each and every one of you, whether you are a third grader, second grader, 87 years old, high schooler, middle schooler, I don't care who you are, God designed you and called you for a purpose. And he extends his grace past all of the mistakes, past all of the ways that we fall short and offers us a chance to be something, to do something for him. So I want to end with this thought right here, that whenever you try to be anything other than what God called you to be, you are cheapening yourself. We have an identity. We have a purpose that God designed for us. And he sees us a certain way. And when we refuse to see ourselves in the same way when we refuse to be a part of what God is calling us to do, then we are cheapening the identity that God has placed on us. So I encourage you this morning to reevaluate the way you think about yourself, the way you think about the opportunities that God has given you, that there's nothing about who you are, your past, your current circumstances, anything about you, there's nothing that can stand in the way of what God has called you to do if only you make yourself available and you say yes. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as a community to hear from you and and to learn how we can respond to the calling that you've put on each and every one of our lives, that you have something for us to do. You desire for us to be a part of the story that you are working in this world. 
God, we just pray that you provide us with encouragement, with the, the clarity on how to accept what it is that you have for us, that we can move forward, that we can do the work that you've called us to do, that we can make a difference in this world, whether it's one life or it's a hundred. God, that you've called us to be the difference, to be the change in the world. We just pray that you remove all of the barricades that we place in front of ourselves and allow us to see ourselves the way you see us. It's in your son's beautiful name that we pray. Amen.